We believe and have always believed in this country that man was created in the image of God. That he was given talents and responsibilities and was instructed to use them to make this world a better place in which to live. And you see, this is the really great thing of America. It's time to discover what binds us together. And finding it has the power to transform our world. That's what I believe. How about you? Hi everyone, I'm Doug DeVos and welcome to Believe. I'm really thrilled today to have a chance to be with Pastor Corey Brooks to talk about an issue that's uh, really important for all of us across our country. Uh, and that's about our, our cities and how do we create safer cities? That's the question we want to explore. Pastor Corey Brooks has been on a rooftop in his neighborhood to bring attention to the subject of violence, particularly gun violence, in his community. Uh, and he's taking a stand. He has a, a, a strong sense of belief and commitment. Uh, and I'm so excited to have the chance to speak with him and to to understand, to get a better understanding of who he is and how he came to these beliefs and what he sees so we can learn uh, and then we can apply his experience in our lives and we can be better neighbors in our communities wherever we can, wherever we may be. Uh, and, and so, uh, so I want to welcome uh, Pastor Corey Brooks. Pastor Brooks, welcome uh, to Believe. We're so glad to have you here uh, and really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you. I'm glad to be on this show, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity. I've been looking forward to it this morning. All right. Well, that's great. Well, you know, we had a chance to talk about some of the, the physical uh, realities of living on a rooftop uh, and getting a good night's sleep when it's windy or being when it's cold. H how are you doing uh, in, your, uh, in this, uh, this mission of yours? Well, I'm doing pretty good. I mean, um, I, I, I tough it out. During the daytime, it's, it's pretty easy because these tents, um, it, it absorbs the sun's rays, so it warms up really well uh, during the daylight. Uh, but at night, it can get a little cold. Uh, and then, of course, it's definitely uh, hard to sleep when the wind is blowing because the tent makes so much noise. Yeah. And uh, you add that to the outside noise, the urban noise that we're already experiencing, uh, it, it can make it pretty tough. Yeah, it can. Well, I, I'm just so encouraged by you and your commitment and your depth of belief and and standing up for what you believe in. Tell us a little bit. I want to start just, how did that start with you? Tell us about your childhood, your upbringing, your family. What were some of the things that happened in your life that, that caused you to want to become a pastor and that instilled in you this sense of depth and commitment that, uh, that you're displaying? Well, okay. Uh, I was born in a little town called Union City, Tennessee. Uh, my family uh, grew up on a farm in uh, Kenton, Tennessee, population of about 1,900 people. It's the home of uh, the white squirrel. Matter of fact, I didn't even know squirrels were brown and other colors until I got to 10 years old. I almost got in a fight on the playground with a kid arguing about white squirrels because where I grew up, it was only white squirrels. Uh, <laughs> so we moved from uh, uh, Kenton, Tennessee when I was about 11 years old uh, to Muncie, Indiana. My mom got married to my stepfather and we moved to Middletown, USA, Muncie, Indiana. And I got saved and came into a relationship with Jesus Christ at 12, at 12 years old. At 13, I realized I knew I was being called to preach, but that was the last thing I wanted to do. Uh, for whatever reason, I just didn't have a high opinion of uh, pastors, um, maybe because some of the examples that I had seen. Um, but at 19, I finally yielded to the Lord after this girl had that I wanted to date 
uh, she was so pretty, Don. She was, uh, I mean, Doug, she was a pretty girl. And I asked her out for a date. And of course she said, yeah, you can take me out for a date and uh, pick me up at 1030 in the morning after we had partied on a Saturday night. And I thought we was going to go to breakfast or something, but she ended up taking me to church. And uh, when she took me to church uh, that day, that Sunday, it was the first time I heard somebody, a preacher, really explain the gospel in a way that made me want to do that for the rest of my life. And at 19 years old, I yielded to the Lord and start, started preaching and um, graduated from Ball State University, went to law school at University of Florida, uh, knew I shouldn't have gone to law school. I should have went to seminary. After one year, I left and went to Dallas Theological Seminary, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me because it was there uh, in my first class with Dr. Howard Hendricks on how to study the Bible that I realized my eyes were being opened to a whole nother world. And, and ever since that time, I've had a passion to, to preach and, and to be a pastor. That's, that's absolutely spectacular, and it's amazing how the Lord touches us and finds ways, uh, whether it's pretty girls or it's wonderful pastors who, uh, who reveal uh, the Bible to us. And now you're the senior pastor at New Beginnings Church. You are the founder and CEO of Project Hood. So talk a little bit about your, your church and about Project Hood. Tell us a little bit about that so we uh, can uh, have a better understanding. So 22 years ago, we started uh, New Beginnings Church, an urban contemporary, creative, incredible uh, type of ministry we wanted to use to reach people who were marginalized, people who were on the fringes of society, people who felt ridiculed, resisted and rejected um, by church and, and, and the things that the church offered. We wanted to reach uh, a segment that was not being reached. So we started the church and we started it in the uh, toughest neighborhood of Chicago uh, because we wanted to reach individuals who really needed the gospel. I tell everyone, they ask me, why did you go to uh, what Chicago sometimes called the most dangerous neighborhood in all of Chicago? And I told them because God sends his best to his worst. And so we, we went, we planted in that area and um, we started New Beginnings Church and we've been trying to reach people for the Lord uh, in this, in this community for over 22 years now. And 10 years ago, uh, we started Project Hood as a result of me being on the roof of a motel uh, for 94 days. That motel was uh, caused a lot of issues in our community, sex trafficking, prostitution, drugs, gangs were using it. And I decided I wanted to do something about it. So I went on top of the roof of that motel to raise enough money to purchase it. And I protested there for 94 days until we raised the money and uh, we bought it and tore it down. And that's kind of reason. And while I was on the roof, that's how we started Project Hood. Well, you, you are then therefore uh, familiar with roofs and you're familiar with uh, acting on your beliefs and, and doing something about things that you see and things that you believe. And you're compelled by the gospel to start or by the, you know, by your, you know, your faith and the gospel to start this church and reach out to people. You're compelled by seeing something in the uh, in your community to do something about a motel that was a place for a lot of bad things happening uh, in your community. Uh, how do you think you came about this uh, this desire to express your beliefs in, in a powerful and a in a public way like this to share your beliefs uh, with other people in in a way that you know through the church and and through your demonstration and your in your protest still has compassion for people you, 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 and everything I've seen here, you, you're, you're expressing love for people, even though you're frustrated with the situations. 
Yeah, you know, I really do believe that God gives you a purpose and a passion and gives you certain gifts, skills, and abilities. And for whatever reason, God has just given me a gift of compassion for people who find themselves in circumstances like uh, where our church is ministering, single parent households where 80% of them are, are single parent households, guys who are in gangs, who, who need a second chance, who need opportunities and alternatives, uh, people who find themselves on the fringes. That's just where God has gifted me to have a, an overwhelming amount of grace and compassion toward those individuals. And it's hard to explain. All I know is that uh, God has placed it in my heart and I love to do it. I wouldn't want to do anything else in the world. You know, people say, hey, you went to Dallas, you can go. You could have went to the suburbs or anywhere in the country. But yeah, that may be true, but it might not have been the place that God wanted me. I know for without a shadow of a doubt that where I am uh, in the hood, on the south side of Chicago, one of the toughest neighborhoods in America, that's exactly where God wants me. And I want to be in the place where God wants me ministering to the people that God wants me to minister to. And it takes, uh, he's given me the grace, not just the grace to do it, uh, but the faith and the courage to do it because you need a lot of it. Uh, it takes a lot of courage to stand for, to stand out and have beliefs that are sometimes different from um, the people that you minister to and different from your peers. And it takes a lot of faith and trust in God just to believe that God is going to fix it and turn it around and make a way for you out of no way. And so those are the three things that I think God has just really blessed me with a lot of grace, a lot of courage, and a lot of faith. Yeah, that's a, that's a great story. And you've talked about you know, you, I, I like your phrase. Send, you know, God sends his best to the, you know, to the worst or the most difficult places. Um, you've talked about your commitment to your neighborhood, and, and you've talked about this is where you know you feel called to be. How, how do you feel about, you know, uh, you know, others that you work with in your neighborhood? Do you have that sense of community in that neighborhood? Uh, a, a feeling that others are with you and supporting you and joining you, um, in, you know, in your work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there are a lot of people in our community who want to see uh, the community be better. They want to see it turn into a neighborhood and not just a hood. They want to see uh, a community. Uh, they want to see a sense of belonging. And so there are people who who are really excited about what we do. Uh, but then, you know, there are those who are not who are not as excited, who who want things to stay as they are, the status quo and keep people dependent upon government and keep them dependent upon other people. And so there, 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 there's a friends of people who, who are definitely against me, but uh, you know, there's more for me than against me. There you go. I, I like that. And, and you're going to work with those who uh, work with anybody to do good and, and, yes. and keep, keep moving yourself forward. Let, let's talk and, and shift a little bit, maybe more specifically to your the current situation and what you wanted what you're talking about now and that's the the, the violence that has been uh, impacting you and your neighbors uh tell us about that and what you're seeing and experiencing uh currently that that led you to to take this stand yeah Doug, um you know when i talk about god gracing you to do something and giving you the passion and the purpose to do it I can't remember a time where I'm getting ready to talk about violence and what's going on in our neighborhood where I don't feel a sense of almost feeling overwhelmed. 
uh, wanting to break down and cry. Even now, as I talk about our neighborhood, and you can hear the sirens in the background. Yeah. Um, yeah. As I talk about our neighborhood, it, it really, I have to hold back tears because I, I see the pain, I see the struggle, I see the heartache, and I see that sometimes it seems as if no one even cares what's going on in urban America. Just yesterday, a 15-year-old boy was shot 24 times. He wasn't in a gang. He wasn't a bad kid. All he was doing was walking to the gas station to get a bag of chips. When you think about that, it pains you. And so I've just taken it upon myself to try to bring as much awareness to I, that I can about the violence, but also do whatever I can to help people who are in these situations to change their lives around. And because our neighborhood is never going to be better if we don't do something about it. Uh, a lot of times, I believe a lot of people wait on government to come in and save the day. But I tell everyone that, you know, there's no Superman coming in to save us. There's no Wonder Woman coming in to save us, that we have to roll our sleeves up and get involved in the community and do everything we can to change the plight of what we're experiencing every single day. And so I've just taken it up on myself to put my head down and pray like it all depends on God and work like it all depends on me. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you're right on, on both those fronts, aren't you? It all does depend on God, and, and he asks us to do the work. Uh, yeah. that, that we're called to do and what, what we can't do, he steps in and, and, and fills in. Can, can you tell us a, a little bit, you, you know, the statistics are, are, are appalling, and, 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 but they're statistics. You just talked about a 15-year-old boy that had family and had friends and whose life was taken needlessly what are the stories uh, of innocent people who've been killed because they were simply caught in the crossfire of uh, of this violence and how how can we fully grasp the the magnitude and, and as you said it, you, it wants you want to you want to just cry it brings you to tears and when i talk to you know pastors in in our town here in grand rapids with similar experiences, they just talk about the individual, they talk about the family, they talk about this is a good person, this is a good kid whose life was taken. Help us understand that depth. Yeah, you know, there's so many stories. Uh, just in January alone here in Chicago, 30 women were shot. Seven of them were killed. Two of them were pregnant and the babies died as well. That's in January. In February, 15 days into February, we've had uh, 10 teenagers to be shot and killed. Those type of numbers are alarming. And then you think about these are mothers and sons and relatives of, of people, the, the how, how much the pain spreads you know, and I and I really think a lot of people, and I and I, I try to understand. You know, everybody is not as graced as me to feel a certain way towards those issues. Some people feel sure. the same way I feel about cancer patients or other patients. 
or other things that are going on. So I understand that. But but there is a a, a deafness that is of, of community and, and love and compassion that is missing in our neighborhood that that people just would not even understand. Wow. Well, those those numbers are representing people. Yeah. And and, and uh, when you talk about January and February, that's just recently. That's not even to say the past year. Right. Uh, and, and it doesn't appear to be an end in sight. So why do you think, why is this getting worse? What, what What's behind it? What have you seen that's changed? You've been in the community 22 years. You've been pastoring at your your, church, your New Beginnings Church. You've been reaching out to people. And, and certainly in that experience, you've seen probably some, you know, better times and worse times, and you've seen things ebb and flow. What do you see is behind this seemingly, uh, you know, dramatic yeah. shift that that many in the country have been watching in Chicago for quite some time now? Right. Well, one, you have uh, the absence of God. There, there's so much a lack of morality uh, in Chicago, and where where God has been totally dismissed and put on the sideline in people's lives. That's first and foremost. Secondly, um, this opinion that I'm going to share is not the most popular opinion, but you asked me, so I want to answer it as truthfully as I possibly believe. And I think post-60 liberalism has a lot to do with it as well, that a lot of the policies that are set in place in these urban areas have led to a decline of the neighborhoods, have led to a decline of families, have led to a total decline of of education and all of these things added up together uh, have caused these communities to be ravished and to be in turmoil and have to set the mindsets of individuals who live here and and so i think what has to happen is that we have to change that mindset uh, we have to show people that there is another way, give them options, alternatives, and opportunities, help them to come to understand about self-responsibility and accountability, uh, and move them from dependency upon any other thing other than God and themselves, uh, and, and, and move them toward family. Those are, the, and, and, oh, and we definitely have to fix our educational system. In our neighborhood, Doug, alone, the school in our area, in our zip code, the elementary school, 4% of the kids are reading at efficiency level. 6% of the kids are at math proficiency level. That is cannot be tolerated. And so we need to figure out how to give these kids better educational options uh, so that they can go on to, to be successful in life. But those are, from my opinion, some of the things that are causing the, the dramatic uh, crime that we're seeing every single day. Wow, wow. Well, Pastor Brooks, you, ha- you have just identified I- in a very short period of time a wide range uh, of topics, and, I- and I'd love to kind of dive in a, a-, a sure. little bit on each one of them or, or a few of them as we go, and, and maybe we can frame it up um, you know, by, by kind of thinking about some of the, the institutions of society, if you will, and maybe we'll start with, we'll start with education. You just talked about, uh, about where the proficiency is in reading 
uh, and in math for students in the neighborhood. And, and, and of course, we start with, with a belief that everyone's a child of God and everyone has great potential Absolutely. and capabilities. So what are you seeing, if you drill down into that, what are you seeing as some of the reasons why things are so challenging uh, in, in, to create, and I won't, I won't say education or school, to create a learning environment where, you know, where, where children can learn and be prepared for a better future? What are some of the things you're seeing that we should think about uh, you know, in, in our communities as well uh, about, uh, about this subject of, of learning and, and exploration and, and gaining understanding? What, help us understand your perspective and what you're seeing uh, in, in your neighborhood. Well, forcing, forcing families to send their children to failing schools is to me the civil rights issue of the, the day that no child should be regulated to have to go to a school that's low performing and continue that low performing to spread into the, your child's life. So I, I'm a real big uh, proponent of uh, choice of uh, charter schools and school choice and having the, the money follow the child and not the systems. Um, that's really, really important from my standpoint of view because if we're gonna get these kids out of uh, poverty and get them educated, then they need to be able to go to better schools. Um, I think in Chicago, I can't speak about other places, but I know the unions, the teachers union has really controlled a lot of what happens in these schools. We have some awesome teachers. So I'm, 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 I'm pro teacher. It was teachers that helped get me on the right track. So I'm pro teachers, but our teachers union has caused so many bad policies to impact our children that it's caused them to have serious learning disabilities. And that needs to be dealt with. And I think the best way to be, do that is by allowing competition. Yeah, competition, you got it. You, you know, and, and I appreciate so much your your perspective because you're, you're identifying, in my opinion, you're identifying causes and you're just articulating observations and you haven't tried to, to make it political in that sense, but you're observing things that, that as a community, uh, you know, we need to be thinking about and we need to be talking about uh, yeah. and we need to be considering innovation is, is what I'm hearing. Talk about how that applies, we'll kind of stay in the education area. How are kids going to learn some of the things? And I, I wrote them down when you talked about you know, being responsible, right? You know, you know, sell, you know uh, idea of reliance, uh, uh, of independence, and not being dependent on anything, as you said, but God. Uh, you know, how, how is that going to, can that be formed in a yeah. child uh, without, without a good education base? Absolutely. You know, as I make these type of statements, I, I try to talk about more about what I'm for than what I'm against. And but when you get to talking about what you're for, then you come to the clear reality that sometimes you have to do something about it yourself. And so we're in the process of designing a school for young black boys from single parent households that are below the poverty line. And we want it to be a Christian school so that we can teach serious godly principles like you just mentioned. I think the only way we're going to get out of this situation that we're in in urban America 
in Chicago, especially with these young black boys and the violent crimes that we're seeing, is that we have to grab these boys early and we have to begin to educate them and we have to begin to mentor them and we have to begin to father them. And like I said, no one is going to come in and do that for us. So if I really believe that, it's imperative that people like me who have the same thoughts start trying to develop educational institutions to help these children along the way because they are desperately missing it uh, inside the, the present educational system. Yeah, wow. You, and I, I love how you're for something. And that, that's the whole point of this, uh, uh, of what we want to talk about. People who have beliefs and they're expressing them and they, they have a foundation of values and, and that turns into ideas that they want to action and take forward. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that yep. for what you're for. And, and, and when you're for something, someone's going to be against you and that's okay. Uh, uh, but you just keep staying yep. strong to, to your beliefs. Let, let me um, talk about kind of another institution you know, in society, and that's business, or this whole idea of you know, economics and the development of wealth. What do you see in the ability in your neighborhood for people to create wealth for themselves, to be part of the economic system, uh, to engage? How, how do you view and see uh, what's happening or what, what you think needs to be done? You know, I'm a capitalist, and so I believe in free market capitalism. And I think that one of the ways that people are, get pulled out of poverty is to involve themselves in free markets and involve themselves in a capitalist society. One of the great opportunities that we have as Americans, regardless of where you live, is to participate in an economy that opens doors for you and gives you opportunity if you if you walk through those opportunities and those doors. But in on the flip side of that, we have to help people develop those concepts, that mindset, and those opportunities. One of the things about living in a neighborhood like this is that sometimes it's void of those opportunities, those alternatives. So what we're trying to do here at Project Hood is give people the opportunities and the doors to walk through to create businesses, the training and the development that they need to create businesses. Because the truth of the matter is, if we don't create businesses in our community, if we don't have entrepreneurs, then we're going to continue to see an economic decline because people cannot flourish where there is no capitalism going on. And that's one of the reasons why we have so much violence in our community, because there are a lack of businesses. A lack, yeah. The economy is not as strong. What are some of the things, so if you're talking outside of your neighborhood, to your neighbors outside of your neighborhood, in the business community, what are some of the things that you, you would like to encourage them to think about of, of, of how they could expand opportunity, how they could engage in, in being part of creating or, or establishing pathways so that everybody can truly participate uh, you know, with, a, with yeah. a real opportunity to, to create wealth for themselves in a variety of ways. How, what would your message be? I would tell them, you know, find places like what we're doing and things like we're doing where you can get a return on your investment. And sometimes the return on investment, people have to decide what they're looking for. Sometimes they want a financial return, and that's fine. I understand that. But sometimes it's a people return. 
that there's something good about helping a community to turn around. There's something good about uh, helping a community to, to transform. And so I tell businesses and CEOs who, who have been coming here to stay in the tent with me, um, help us create strategies and systems and structures so that people can succeed. One of the things that I've, I've learned about this experience being on the roof and these CEOs who come here, they're so smart and so intelligent and they have a way of looking at problems and then helping you to design systems and structures to get people toward success. And so I tell them, listen, you may not plant your business here and I understand that, but you can still put some time and some of your talent and some of your treasure here to help us turn this thing around. And businesses in Chicago or businesses in America that do that, we make America a better place. And sometimes it's difficult showing people and getting people to understand that, but making Chicago, the South side of Chicago, a better place makes Chicago a better place. Making Chicago a better place makes Illinois a better place. Making Illinois a better place makes America a better place. And, and we have to get people to understand that even though these urban areas are uh, have drugs and gangs and things going on, we have to transform them because it makes it better for all of us. And that's that's the message that I try to communicate uh, to a lot of business owners when they come here. Yeah. Well, Pastor Brooks, what, what a great message of, of being better and being you know, neighborly, which is what we're all called to do you know, in, in that idea. And it just... You know, just flat out encourage people to care and, and to th yeah. apply their time, talent, and treasure, you know, in, in ways to generate you know, financial or, and non-financial uh, yeah. returns. There's so much. There's so much that could uh, be done there. Let, let me let me shift to uh, another institution in society, our government. You talked about that a little bit. And we all know the role of government and how it was established in, in, in the history of our country. Uh, what do you see uh, you know, as the proper role that would be helpful in your community? What would be a, a role or some of the actions you know, from a government perspective that would be helpful? And what are the things that, frankly, they may need to stop doing because some of the things that, that – some, sometimes we all, and we all do this and I'm not just blaming government, but sometimes it's like, stop helping me, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you know? So, so talk a little bit about, uh, about that, if you could. I think one of the things that we definitely need government to do is reevaluate some of these programs that have been ineffective for, for over 70 years. And they have to come to the harsh reality that these programs are not working and have the courage to change them. Um, that therein lies the problem. Mo government does not have the courage to change problems that they have created. That and 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 so we as the people have to force them to do it. And the way we force them to do it is have a reckoning with them at the voting booth. We have to get involved in the in the process of voting, and we have to vote people in and out who who are more aligned to our beliefs and what we're trying to accomplish. But government definitely in our community has caused a lot of problems and there's no one making them accountable. And when you don't make people accountable, they will continue to do what they've always done. And we call that insanity.
when you're doing everything <laughs> that you've always done, trying to get a different result. It just doesn't work. Well, you're, you're spot on there. That's a, <laughs> that's a, a great illustration to get ourselves to, uh, to this level uh, you know, of holding people accountable. And, and I, I, a, a couple a couple of thoughts. I know that a lot of times in talking to pollsters, that's a huge word for any voter. They really want government to be a, a, a accountable. And, and then secondly, I am engaged with an organization in Philadelphia, the National Constitution Center, which talks about civic engagement. And as yes. you say this, this idea, you are on a rooftop speaking out against violence. And when you talk about forcing change, you talk about a vote. Yeah. You, you talk about you, you don't talk about anything that includes violence. You talk about simply engaging in, in knowing what the government's doing and then and then exercising your beliefs through your vote. Help us you know, talk about that a little more. There's a lot of discussion yeah. in this country about voting, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and elections. But give us your perspective. I'm curious how you see it. We, we, we live in the greatest place in the world that provides us a democracy and a democracy allows us the democratic process to participate in voting individuals in and out of office. To me, that is the greatest thing in the world that a country can have because it affords us the opportunity when we disagree uh, or when we don't like a certain policy to do something about it. And, and so I think we have to get people more engaged. I know I'm going through the process of getting people more engaged in the political process, but also giving them the tools to be more knowledgeable about the whole process. In our culture, we've been um, over the years groomed and taught that the democratic process, the Democrats are the only way to go. It's the only life to live. Well, I, I don't believe that. I, I think that Democrats have taken advantage of our community and taken advantage of our, our culture for far too long because they just have, they know that 95% of the black people are going to vote for them. So why do anything for them? However, my conservative Republican brothers and sisters have not done anything either. They said that, you know, they're all, the black people are just going to vote for Democrats. So we just leave it alone. That's not so. So in one party takes advantage of us, the other party ignores us somehow, some way we have to teach in our community to get both of those parties engaged and hold both of those parties accountable. And so that's what I'm into. I'm into um, trying to give people the tools and knowledge about what it means to be a conservative as I am. And most black people are conservative. Uh, they just vote Democrat. They and that's because they don't understand it. So educating people is a big, big thing that has to happen um, going forward for us to really make some 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 real true changes in urban America um, in the voting process. And I, I plan to really help with that. Wow. Well, thank thank you so much for uh, for your observation and your insight that it's not just one political party it's it's sometimes this political process and if that if we as citizens don't pay attention right. and don't vote for the for the things we believe in and the people to re represent those things you know, then we'll either get taken for granted or ignored yes 
absolutely <laughs> every single time. Yeah, I, I, and that's just a, a great. I mean, that's you're, you're such a, a wise insight for everybody, for your friends in your neighborhood, for everyone's friends who's listening in, in, in you know, to this uh, you know, conversation in their neighborhood. Pay attention, care, That's you right. know, uh, uh, about our neighbors and, and about, you know, those we elect to, you know, to, for responsibilities in our communities. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We, have to, we have to get people involved and we have to get people to care um, because that's what's going to change the world when we care. Yeah, when we care. Yeah, absolutely. And, and talk about, so if, let's, let's kind of bring it home here and talk about changing the world. And we'll talk about maybe community institutions. Uh, let's talk about the church. You know, yeah. What do you or what, what can not only your church but other churches do and how should, you know, how should people of faith or, or, or people who don't have faith think about a, a religious institution uh, you know, in their community? And how should they think about their own, um, you know, their own beliefs in, in that area? How, how do you see it uh, and how can we be more engaged uh, you know, in... in in and I'll, I'll, I'll identify the church, but to even talk about community institutions, charities, other institutions yeah. uh, in, in our communities. I, I'd really love your perspective on on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I love the church. And, I, I, you know, if it were not for the church, I, I definitely would not be probably talking to you right now. And I, I really do believe that the church is the hope of the world. So when I talk about the church, those are the two um, paradigms that I that I that I come from. I love the church and um, the church is the hope of the world. Yeah. Saying that, I believe that the church has to do a lot more. And when I speak of that, that the, I think about here in Chicago on the South side, we've got churches everywhere, but they're not engaged outside of Sundays. They want people to come to their church on Sundays and then the doors are closed the rest of the week. They're not engaged in their communities. And I would love to see more churches engaged in the communities. If every church in Chicago on the South side just took responsibility for their block, we could change Chicago instantly. But it's sad to say that for whatever reason, we're not interested in being the salt of the earth. We're not interested in being light to a dark world. We're staying hidden under a bushel and we need to get out of the salt shaker and get involved. And, and that's the reason why our church is so actively engaged in everything that we could be engaged in um, to help transform this community. Because I think the gospel has to move outside of the church. And I think people want to see a sermon before they hear a sermon and people need to know how much you care before you talk about how much you care. And so that's my perspective on the church. And, and that's my perspective on how I wish the church would, would do a lot better uh, in, in, in reaching people. Well, I, it, it's great because we live our faith every day. Every yeah. moment of every day, it, it, you know, Sunday is a great day to re reflect, refresh, renew with uh, yeah. with 
with our you know, our fellow worshipers, you know, in, in whatever setting, you know, uh, you know, someone's faith may lead them. Um, but we got to live it every day. Absolutely. And, and I think that's that's the piece that we're trying to get to. I, I, I maybe a, a couple things. There's a lot of talk, um, you know, in, in our you know, in our society about things that divide us as uh, in neighborhoods and community. But you, in our whole conversation, you haven't talked about that. You've talked about what you're for. Yeah. How, how do we get beyond this idea of division, uh, of pitting group against group, people against people, neighborhood against neighborhood, whatever it may be? How can we address potentially divisive issues in a spirit that that bring finds a way to get to a level of common ground or unity and i don't mean by just kind of giving up or rolling over i i i mean by you know, you know addressing real issues that that we may have differences of opinions about but doing it in a way you know that 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 unifies people. I, I, I think that's what I, I in this whole conversation, I'm just overwhelmed with how you're talking about really difficult issues, but you stay so positive and you're still bringing people together. Right. You know what? Uh, the Dealing with gangs has helped me to understand a lot. And one of the things I've realized in dealing with gangs and, and people who are divided and who hate one another, I mean, to the degree that they actually want to kill one another, I have learned this. The only way you can get them together is one, you have to get them God in the forefront. After you get God in the forefront, then the two things have to happen. You have to be selfless and there has to be some humility. And when I say selfless, I mean, you have to put yourself aside sometimes for the sake of unity. And sometimes your own personal views need to be sidelined for unity's sake. And humility is a big piece of that. I'm a very prideful person, but I, I have learned I have to humble myself a lot, especially with my views being so different. <laughs> I have to humble myself a lot and hear people out and listen to them and communicate. So self being more being selfless, practicing humiliate humility uh humility and and communication are essential uh, to moving forward with people. And if you listen closely to people's conversations without being turned off, you can find sometimes things that, okay, we may disagree on these 99 things. Let's put that to the side. Let's go ahead and work on this one thing for the sake of our community. We don't, we may not like each other. Uh, we may not, agree on 99 things but let's this one thing let's try to work on it and i've i've found and discovered that sometimes once you work on that one thing you discover you have some other things in common as well yeah 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 very so so true i i, I have felt that in, in in many ways in my life and i know you have felt it and practiced it that that you can find an area of agreement you say oh maybe there's another one there's a third one there's a fourth one and then you just kind of build a relationship and you can build trust as yes. you go from there 
So, so Pastor Brooks, this has been fascinating. Maybe we could just kind of, you know, kind of wrap up. You are putting things into action. Tell us a little bit more uh, about your church, about Project Hood, about the school. Yeah, how? Tell us just a little bit more about what you hope to achieve and what those projects, what those projects are. So, we're trying to change the community. You're trying to yeah. transform. In 2014, the Chicago Sun-Times said it was the most dangerous neighborhood in all of Chicago. We've taken offense to that. They call it O-Block because it's named after a young man named O.D. Perry who was shot and killed. The gangs took the O in his name and started calling it O-Block. We decided we're going to keep the O, but we're going to change it to Opportunity Block. And how we're going to create those opportunities, we're going to build this center. It's an uh, economic opportunity center where we're going to teach the trades uh, in construction, electrical, plumbing, automotive. We're going to have restaurants because there are not a lot of restaurants in our area where we can teach culinary arts and teach people to train to be uh, cooks and all kinds of things in other restaurants and other places. We're going to have a trauma counseling center where we can help people move through the stages of trauma that they've experienced, this post-traumatic stress that a lot of people have in our neighborhood. We're going to have an, an entrepreneurial center where we can start to get these businesses off the ground and help them to develop and, and to scale as well. We're going to have this school where we're going to teach these kids early on how to be disciplined, how to be accountable, how to be intellectual, and still how to be cool at the same time. We're going to, we're <laughs> going to, create, cool. we're going to create a place where people can have some fun, a swimming pool, a, a basketball gym, a golf simulator a music studio, a theater, a place where a community can totally transform and find everything that they need to transform their lives. That's what we're doing here on the South side of Chicago. And that's why we're, I'm appreciative of you giving me this platform today to share it because I want everyone in the world to know uh, about the change that's taking place. And when it's all done, I want everybody to know that it was not because Corey Brooks was so smart, but I want them to know that it was because we serve an awesome and a wonderful God that just happened to pick this neighborhood to show the world that he still lives and that he still transformed his individuals and that the church is the hope of the world. Wow. Pastor Corey Brooks, I, uh, I am so thrilled to have had this time to talk to you and thank to you. Uh, engage and hear from you, hear your wisdom, uh, and, and just thank you for what you're doing uh, with, your, with the New Beginnings Church, with Project Hood, uh, and the Opportunity Block. Thank uh, you. You're taking something that has, that has a, a, a violent and difficult history, and you're turning it into something that has a bright future. Uh, and it's because of your action, your faith that you are putting into your faith that you're putting into action and uh, in, in your campaign to end violence, to do it in a way that brings people together and brings peace to your neighborhood and your community. Pastor Corey Brooks, I'm just uh, I'm grateful. Thank you for the, having the time, uh, this, to, allowing me to have the time with you this morning. Oh, I thank you and I appreciate it. I've enjoyed it immensely. All right, my friend. You stay warm. You stay well. And we look forward to uh, connecting with you uh, in, in the days ahead, days and times ahead. Just so uh, thank you for your inspiration for all of us. Thank you for taking the time. Have a great, have a great time. You as well. Cheers. All right. Thanks, my friend. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Well, that's it for this episode of Believe uh, with Pastor Corey Brooks. What an uplifting uh, opportunity that we've had to hear from somebody who is who is living his faith in, in a powerful and impactful way, not only uh, in what he's doing in his community, but by sharing what he's doing, uh, he has a chance to impact all of us as well. So again, uh, thanks to uh, Pastor Corey Brooks for joining us. So that's it for this episode of Believe, and we'll look forward to seeing you all again next time and very soon.